Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. We return back to Matthew after our brief sojourn to 1 Peter and the infamous purple shirt sermon. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 23. The same day Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. And Jesus answered them, You're wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Let's pray. Lord, we do give thanks for the reading of your word. We ask that you would give life and light to our hearts by your spirit working even now in its preaching, just as you have in its reading. For Christ's sake, amen. You ever have that moment, you're talking with someone, perhaps it's a a discussion, perhaps maybe an, an argument, a disagreement of some kind, you've been making a point, you've been trying to explain a thing, a a policy in action, a feeling, a desire, a, a whatever it is. And they're standing there disagreeing with you, talking or whatever else it is. And, and you, you kind of have this kind of light bulb moment hits your brain. Oh, yeah, no, they're totally missing the point. <laughs> like they understand a lot of things. But they're like totally missing the point. That's usually, I think, in most Cases where you try to fix that missing the point, it never goes well, I guess, at that point, because they're missing the point, and uh, that's why the issue is an issue, I guess. But you can kind of tell that's where the, the, the two conversations are passing each other. They're not really talking about the same thing. I think about it oftentimes where, like, I'm doing marriage counseling, and the conversation that's taking place, that husband and wife could be sitting in different buildings, and it wouldn't make any difference. Because they're not having the same conversation. They're both missing the point. The conversation that takes place here in Matthew chapter 22 is 
one of those kind of really awkward conversations where a group of men miss a point really badly in a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus not being the nice, squishy, kind of overly friendly man that we think of him as, but being the real Son of God, uh, truth incarnate, lets them know that they're missing the point. Uh, We're going to look at really kind of four separate ways that through his interaction, he's kind of challenging them to consider the point, the real issue, things that they're missing, uh, and he's going to challenge them to do. At first, is going to deal with uh, the marriage issue that they're being obnoxious trolls with, but that's a different thing we'll get to in a moment. The same day, the Sadducees come to Jesus. Now, that's significant that we have Sadducees in the story because Sadducees are a major difference uh, from the Pharisees. It's why when you see them playing together nicely, as in the previous section of the chapter, that's like when cats and dogs are playing nicely. It's very odd. Uh, The Pharisees represented the political conservatives, they represented the theological conservatives, they uh, kind of represented the legalists who loved the law so much that it was kind of like the highest end to itself. The Sadducees mentioned here are not. In fact, actually, the Sadducees here would be uh, what we would call liberals. Uh, They would have been at this time... uh, Political liberals, by and large, certainly theological liberals, um, they would be the ones that I, I think probably kind of most closely line up uh, with the American elites. Uh, in fact, they were so cultured, so in love with kind of reason and science, that they had by and large given up on all things supernatural. Certainly, there's no miracles because miracles can't happen. They don't happen. We don't see them. Science can't explain a miracle. Certainly, there's there's no resurrection. There can't be a resurrection because uh, we don't have souls because it's not something we can see and measure and taste and touch. All that there is are the things that we kind of see and feel and experience right before us. They represent perfectly lining up with what modern liberals today, theologically at least, tend to teach, right? No miracles, no resurrection, no evil, no sin, no spiritual, no nothing other than what science can measure, the the physical. That's why Matthew kind of gives us the clue in here to make sure our ears are kind of perked up to it. That same day, the Sadducees came to him, who, by the way, yes, important, they say there's no resurrection. They don't believe in spiritual realities that cannot be seen. And as a result, this is, at best, a disingenuous question. They don't mean what they're asking. I said prior, they're they're trolling Jesus. They're trying to entrap him. They're trying to trick him. They don't genuinely care about the answer. They think they found a, a case where the scriptures are wrong, where God is incompetent, where God is perhaps even a jerk. And so they ask a question about Deuteronomy chapter 25. A thing called Leverite marriage. A Leverite marriage was a, a, 
Uh, an interesting thing, it still actually happens in parts of Africa, Sudan specifically, uh, according to what I read this week. Interestingly, didn't know that. Levite marriage was where if a husband and wife married and the husband died before they were able to have uh, a, a son, the wife was then kind of given in marriage to the husband's younger brother. And it was a way uh, to kind of handle those sort of marriage issues. Now, you can see immediately that the Sadducees are being a little bit, like I said, of a little bit of a troll because they bring this incredibly uncomfortable and really weird hypothetical situation. Hey, Jesus, we have a hypothetical situation. What happens if a man and a wife marry, and boy, that man's unlucky, he dies. So the wife's given to the next younger brother, and that guy's unlucky, and she's then given to the third one, and that guy's unlucky, and it's literally the most unlucky family in the world, and all seven brothers die in order so that she never has any kids, but is literally married to seven brothers. Which again, as kind of postmodern Americans, we go, that's one, gross, and two, weird. What they're doing, though, is they're trying to push the law to its kind of end consistencies. If God has invented this thing called Levite marriage, if he has endorsed it in Deuteronomy 25, surely God is an idiot. That's not willing, what they're really willing to say, but it's what they're implying. God doesn't know what he's doing because God is not as sophisticated and cool and knowledgeable as I am. If only he were willing to listen to me because I figured out what's good and right and true. But you see, what the Sadducees are doing is they're missing the point of Leverite marriage. What they're doing is they're looking at Leverite marriage through the lens of their moment, their time, their preference, and their day. And they're taking their own values, they're taking their own person, they're taking their own joys and privileges and reading it back onto God and reading it back onto his law. And saying, well, I mean, this is obviously a silly situation, but the reason it's a silly situation is because it's a silly law. Because he's a silly God, if he even existed. But see, the, the problem here is that the, the Sadducees are missing the point. They're entirely missing the point of what Leverite marriage was because they have a faulty definition of marriage and a faulty definition, really, of child rearing. You see, we read of Leverite marriage with modern conventions, and we read of Leverite marriage with our modern definition of consent, which is um, very new in human history and very narrow. And we think of the idea of a brother dying and the wife being given to a younger brother as unbearably bizarre. And honestly, friends, the only reason we think of it as being bizarre is because we are so incredibly rich. The only reason this is weird to us is because we have so much money that we get to pursue any little preference that we want to pursue. 
We're able to do that. We can pursue frivolity constantly, but when you're literally starving to death, or you don't have a welfare state that has any form of protections for the weak or needy, things take on a slightly different nature. And in fact, actually, if you go back and look at Levite marriage and its intended purpose, Levite marriage was unbelievably kind-hearted by God. Because what it was designed to do is to make sure that women that God made in his image and he loves are taken care of. It was a, a mechanism built into the very fabric of Israel so that if a woman lost a husband without children, she didn't lose her life. Because you see, what, what happened is those kids represented a number of things for her. One, they represented income. She couldn't make money on her own easily. Those kids represented income. That was her social security, right? That was the thing that was going to provide her livelihood forever. Those kids were incredibly important. Uh, They weren't just viewed as those that we love and babies that we adore and things like that. They were workers in her home, (laughs) right? That's what my parents used to joke with me about. It's the best reason to have kids. They cut the grass when they turn teenagers, right? They're the workforce in the home, But not just the workforce in the home, but they were also the retirement home, the the nursing home, the, the convalescence home, so that as mom aged, those children were the ones that would take care of her in her old age. They were the ones that would provide money. They were the ones that would provide the place to stay, housing. They were the ones that would provide health care until she passed into the life to come. So for a a woman to lose her husband but have no children, that was catastrophic for her, right? That, That would be the equivalent of like permanent and eternal bankruptcy. And so God, knowing the situation, knowing the culture, and loving the women of Israel so much, He designed a a, a mechanism connected to marriage that, again, by modern ears we think is really weird. but was designed to care for women and to care for them tenderly. Hey, by the way, you're going to have somebody that's going to take care of you. And you're going to have somebody that's going to provide for you and provide children for you and provide a home for you and provide a house for you. And oh yeah, by the way, again, don't think modern sensibilities. They're from the same family, so you know they're reliable or at least more likely to be so. It's not just some random stranger, right? It's somebody that, you know, would be connected. You would know their pedigree. You would know how they live. You know their life. You see, so the Sadducees are actually, they're, they're missing the point of God's mercy. They're looking at God's law and only seeing what seems to be on the surface a very peculiar way of interacting with people. And in doing so, they're, they're missing God's heart behind it in its entirety. And friends, this is a thing that I watch us do with great regularity. In fact, actually, I would say this is one of the most common uh, experiences I interact with with folks when they run into a law of God that they don't like. I don't like this law because blah, 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 because God doesn't like me. 
because God's bad, because God's silly, because, God, because God's something. And it's intriguing, that's exactly what the Sadducees are doing, is they're reading God's law and they're missing the whole point behind it, which is the Lord is a Lord of mercy, he's a Lord of grace, he's a Lord of kindness, he's a Lord of compassion. He's designed this specifically to help them. And friends, I would encourage you, when you talk about God's law to your friends, to your family, to your children, to your parents, but most importantly, to yourself, it is of utmost importance that we talk about it from the perspective of this law is a law of mercy. This rule, whatever it is, this design, whatever it is, this nature, whatever it is, is a reflection of God's love and a reflection of God's gentleness and kindness and mercy and grace and patience and hope and generosity. And this is a a great challenge for us today because uh, the water, the cultural waters that we live in, the air that we breathe right now is a, a culture that is preoccupied with my own opinion. It's it's preoccupied with my own self. You'd be amazed that the frequency that I talk with people and somebody will disagree, and I say, Well, okay, tell me why you disagree. I'm, I'm happy to hear. I, I love listening. Why do you disagree? Well, because that's just what I think. Okay. I, I got that part. That's why we disagree, because you think differently. I'm not mad at that. Tell me why. Because that's how I feel it is. That, that, that's not an argument. That's an emotion. Right? That, that, that's a feeling. That's not a reality. That's you. In between your ears or in between your lungs. It's, it's a feeling that And we do this all the time, again, with God's law, where we go and we say, well, I don't like this reality. I don't want this to be that way. I don't want that to be this way. And we miss that the Lord is given us in his law the instruction manual for how we're designed to operate. Right? Creation is an unbelievably complicated thing. And people are easily the single most complex piece of it. I mean, how much of us we deal with uh, those unseen parts of what makes us human. And it only makes our situation worse that when we think of, of God's interactions with us as being something other than his mercy to give us the design for how we're intended to function. And they miss the point. They are trolling Jesus, trying to be obnoxious and catch him in something by taking a very mercifully intended thing and trying to push it to absurdity. Well, verse 29, again, our squishy, always nice Jesus disappears. He's never actually been there because that's not what the Bible describes him to be. I love Michael Card's description. uh, God in the form of that angry young man could not have seemed perfectly sane. He, he was angry in all of the righteous and best ways, and here he gets this to them, right? Poor carpenter, untrained Jesus <laughs> responds, you're wrong. 
There's no mincing words there. It's not delicate. It's not tender. It's not protecting feelings. It's you're wrong. And the reason why you are wrong is this. Because you do not know the scriptures and because you do not know the power of God. You see, this is the second area that they're missing the point. The first one, they miss the point of God's mercy, but here they're, they're missing the point of God's revelation. They're missing the point of God's Bible. They're missing the point of God explaining who He is and how people work. They're thinking that it's something to be mastered, something that they can control, something that they can maneuver. They're thinking of the Bible like thinking of a car. I learn how to drive a car, and if I'm good enough, I can make my car do just about anything that car is designed to do. Right? I can parallel park it. I did that yesterday for the first time in who knows how many years. All right, got it first try. Right? I'm a master over my car. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a great driver, but... We think about the Bible that way and say, look, it's something that I can command, I can control, I can order, I can handle this. That's what they're doing. You see, Jesus gives them the clear response, you're wrong because you don't know the Scriptures, you don't know the power of God, because the Scriptures and the power of God is the one who is talking to them. We forget that Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word of God incarnate. This entire book tells who He is and His story. He's not something to be mastered by us. He's something for us to be mastered by. They're misusing the Scriptures because they're trying to get them to do their own bidding, and they do not know the power of God. They've denied all of the miraculous. They've denied almost even the existence of God Himself. He's not intervening in creation at all. Jesus disagrees. Third, they miss the point of marriage and sexuality, and I'm going to spend just a little bit extra time on this point. Verse 30, well, 29, Jesus says, you're wrong, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Verse 30, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they're like the angels in heaven. See, uh, what's happened here is that the Sadducees have in many ways begun to think about marriage and sexuality from a perspective that is strangely thousands of years early, not that different from today. They've begun to think of marriage and sexuality as the defining features of what make a person a person. In fact, so much so that in their silly illustration, when this woman goes to the life to come, her defining feature is which man owns her. Friends, that is stupid, right? If if you go to think about what happens after death and the primary thought you have is which man owns you, which husband is yours, which wife is yours, you are missing the point. What they've done is they defined this woman in her situation specifically in primarily through her sexuality and defined her sexuality through her relationship to a man. 
this is so unbelievably similar to today. See, this is what our current culture has been doing now for a number of years, but where we've been saying that people are identified first and foremost by their sexuality. You are your sexuality. And in fact, actually, we're going to go so much further as to say not only are you your sexuality, but if you're not using your sexuality, you're not using your person. You're not a real person. We've been uh, reading a book. I don't traditionally do book recommendations, but I'm going to just tell you, we've been reading a book from our session right now. Uh, session's trying to always read a book kind of constantly. This one is uh, The Rise and Tramp of the Modern Self by Carl Truman, and it's absolutely marvelous. Uh, best, best book written in the last couple of years, probably. We just finished the section, actually, on Freud, Sigmund Freud, in sexuality, and that's the, Truman's point in chapter 6 is that the American culture in our kind of moment in time is that we've said a person equals their sexuality. It is definitively the same. And because it's definitively the same, every person is shaped by that. No matter how young or how old, this is what we are. And intriguingly, so much of the American perspective is, like I said, shaped from Freud, who is an absolute pervert. Right? Sleeping with his sister-in-law and his wife at the exact same time, an absolute pervert. And yet, that's the guy we've let shape how we think. And the problem is, is that they're missing the point of what it means to be human if you think being human means being sexual. It's missing the point. Because, friends, here's the reality is that God has made humans in his image, male and female, both in his image, and to reduce personhood to sexuality is to reduce God to a sexual being. That's not good. Instead, it would be more appropriate to say, look, we're made in God's image, and both male and female are designed in different ways and in different aspects to reveal that God to people, to showcase his very character, to showcase his nature, right? In so many ways, men are made to showcase his power. I'm not saying women are powerful, but saying men, so many ways made to show that. Women, so many ways made to showcase his beauty and his mystery, certainly to showcase his complexity. How marvelous how God has made us. How marvelous that he's designed us the way that we are, and in fact, actually, so much so that he's designed us to be in relationship. That's a reflection of the triune God. Why is God in Trinity? He's always in relationship with himself, Father with Son and Spirit, Son with Father and Spirit, Spirit with Father and Son, always in relationship. So much so that when he makes us in the garden, he creates people to be designed in relationship. The Sadducees have said, instead of being designed in a relationship, he said, being designed in sexuality. And that's not the same. You see, the, real, the, the mistake that they're making is to reduce any form of relationship ultimately to a sexual union. 
Which is why Jesus' response is so absolutely devastating to them. Right? You ignorant people. You ignorant people know, for in the resurrection, this imaginary woman, all of these imaginary husbands, all of imaginary people, all real people, we are not in marriage anymore. Because marriage is a tool that is given to teach us about who God is. And when we see God face to face, we don't need the object lessons anymore. That's what marriage is. It's an object lesson. My college pastor used to call it a sermon in shoes. Right? Every day it's living in a relationship that is designed to show you who God is. This is why we can uh, completely reject their mistake. Part of what they've done is to say that a person has to be married to be a person. And we would say that's evil. In fact, actually, it's so evil, Jesus makes the point that once we're resurrected and all sin and evil are taken away, we're all single because we're joined with Christ Jesus. I would make a particular aside here to those that are single in the room or children in the room, and I would say this, our current culture is telling you, it is screaming at you that you are incomplete unless you are active in these sorts of relationships. And friends, I would say that is absolutely evil. For if you are single in the room, you may know your God and be known by Him. Right? Marriage is not the end of being a human. It's it's not the pinnacle of being a human. It's not the highest good of being a human. Marriage is something designed to teach you a bigger lesson who God is. You don't have to have marriage to know who God is. And then to reduce that to the lowest common denominator of just sexuality, to try to make man look like the animals, is even more evil. Verse 31, as for the resurrection of the dead... Have you not read what it was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not God of the dead, but of the living. You see, what has happened again is the Sadducees are missing the point. They've missed the point of Leverite marriage. They've mistaken God's mercy for a law. They've missed the point of the Scriptures. They've mistaken God's revelation for just rules. They've missed the point of sexuality. They've mistaken God's relational design for something like the animals have. But they've missed the point of religion altogether, which is an amazing thing because they're one of the like governing bodies of kind of the religious institutions of the day. And the amazing thing is they've missed the point of religion entirely because what they've said religion is
is simply an exercise in community and an exercise in power. And they've missed that it's actually designed to be a relationship between God and his people. I love Jesus' answer here to them about the resurrection. He could have taken them all throughout the Old Testament to prove the various places that God prophesies resurrection. I'll be honest, in the Old Testament, it's much harder. You can go to Psalm 16, you can go other places. But instead, Jesus actually takes them back to Exodus 3 that we've already read to God's self-description of himself where he identifies to his people who he is. He is the God who lives. And as a result, his covenant is only made with people who live. His covenant is not with the dead. The dead can't be participants in a covenant in that regard. His covenant promises are only made with those who live. That's why he is, I am the God who is. And that's why he is, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who live. Because he is the God of the living and not the dead. And friends, I would challenge us with this. It's an easy thing for us to grow comfortable in the ritual of Christianity. Right? It's an easy thing for us to grow comfortable in the practice of Christianity. Right? We come in, we go to Sunday school, finish Sunday school, we hang out for half an hour and talk and have coffee. We sit down when the pastor walks up front, we sing a couple songs, we listen to the Bible read, right? We do our holy aerobics, stand up when he says stand up, sit down when he says sit down. Try not to zone out when he has the long talk as opposed to the short talks. Sing a hymn and then go home. It's easy for us to grow comfortable with the ritual of Christianity, and miss that all of that is designed not to teach ritual. Believe it or not, the session actually knows that most of you can stand up and sit down. We don't worry about that. Believe it or not, most of you, we actually believe most of you can sing. We don't worry about that. No, instead, the, the, the ritual of Christianity is constructed to show you there's a relationship with God himself. And that it's a living and true relationship because he's a living and true God. It, it's not just a dry, crusty, dead old thing that happens, this Christianity, but it's knowing and being known by God. And I think it, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, you know, Christianity is so intriguing Because it's so simple that it sounds simplistic until you're on the inside. Like to say that, well, it's it's a relationship where you're known and you know and are known by God. From the outside, that sounds just crazy until you get on the inside and then you're like, oh, it makes sense. It makes total sense. There's probably not a better way to explain it. 
But it's imperative that we learn to let this be the vocabulary of how we talk about it. And I would particularly make application in terms of how we teach our children. Right, kiddos, it's so easy for you to grow up in the church and know how to sound like church and know how to look like church when church people are watching and know how to pretend like church and miss that great reality of knowing and being known by God. You see, the thing here, and this is the part that I think as a pastor makes me the most nervous, is that the Sadducees are the ones that look the most American. Right? They're the ones that look the most American. They, they are good thinkers, well-educated, more sophisticated, polished, too cool for school. They're, they're, they're the, the guys that we watch on television every day. And the danger is that we become just like them. A people that, that understand externals and miss the heart of the gospel, which is that God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die and be raised, that we might have victory and that we might know him and be known by him for all eternity and that nothing inside creation can separate us from that love found in Christ Jesus. And that every day as a Christian is not an exercise in doing and not doing the law or the good or the bad things. But every day in Christianity is an exercise in relationship, of knowing and being known by my God. And I'll, I'll end with one closing example. Marriage is one good illustration of this, but family, I think, is just as comparably excellent. We all know that family is, it's easy for us to think about family from that perspective of it, it's good to be with family. We're just exiting vacation season, we're almost heading into holiday season, where we get excited about spending time with our friends and with our families, where we get excited about relating together. Friends, that desire is a good and noble desire because that desire is what Christianity is built around. Only it can't just be satisfied with wife and children and husband and parents and siblings. It can only be satisfied by God himself. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would um, use it for your glory and for our good, for Christ's sake. Amen.